those of you who are here last week will remember that we did the first part of this reading, uh, the story of the prodigal son. It's a well-known story, one of the well-known ones in the Bible, uh, that and the Good Samaritan, the, probably the two uh, best-known stories um, uh, that we refer to. And um, uh, you'll remember that uh, this story is about three main characters. Uh, the first one is the young son who was lost. And uh, we reflected last week on the fact that he took all his father's inheritance, went off and wasted it in different ways, but came to his senses and came back home. And, and when he came back home, he got this incredible welcome from his father. The second character in the story is the father, the father who extends grace to the first son and, as we'll see now, to the second son. And this morning, is all about the other son, the third character, this older brother, this, this one who played life by the rules. He's probably everything his father could wish for. He kept his nose clean, uh, didn't do anything wrong, he didn't go off partying or wasting his father's inheritance. He was a hard worker, a dutiful son, everything seemed good about him. But what we see in this morning's reading is that that was just the outward appearance. It's interesting, isn't it? We, have, we all have different, we all play different characters in our lives all the time. All of us do that. Um, when you go to work, you are a certain person. Is that true? That's true, isn't it? You present in a certain way. We present in a professional way. We present in a confident way. We present, I don't know about you. I used to work in marketing where it's... Um, uh, they, I got uh, several promotions. They were all by mistake. I'm not quite sure why I ended up doing what I was doing. But each day I would go in and I think, someone will find out today. I really got no idea what I'm doing. And anybody ever been in that situation? <laughs> you think someone's going to catch me out at some point? Mark Tate. Yeah, we need to speak later. So someone, it's that point, isn't it? You just, it's like someone's going to catch me out. They're going to know. Actually, he's got no idea at all what he's doing. But we present confidently. So we present that. When you're with the person who, you, who loves you and knows you, you present the other side of yourself, don't you? Often you're, you're very honest and there's the brokenness and there's the fragility of life and all of that sort of thing. And there's all of those different things, aren't there? Yesterday my, um, I was, I don't know, about 5.30 or so, my Lynn said to me, she said, let's, let's go out, let's go out. I'm thinking... Where? You know, sudden pressure, 5.30 in the afternoon. So, well, let's go out for a walk. I'll walk up the river, a strand on the green. Very nice, isn't it? So we went up the river, and we took um, uh, Antonia, who's one of the interns living with us, and, and um, my son, Joss. And uh, we went out, and we walked up, uh, walked up the river. And my son, Joss, he just came up to me, put his arm around me, and he started talking. And I put my arm around him. We walked for half an hour one way, half an hour back, all the way up there. He had his arm around me, telling me about his different dreams in life and what he hoped for. And, all. and I, was, well, I was thinking, it's my boy. Every time anybody came past me, I said, it's my boy. <laughs> Feeling so proud. You know, so that, it's the, 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 my, actually, I, just felt, I felt vulnerable. I was thinking, that's my little boy here. I'm very proud of him. And, uh, uh, it, you know, you do that sort of thing. We stopped at a pub for a drink on the way back. Went in. I said, you come and help me buy the drink, son. We went in and, you know, he was choosing different things. And 
I was trying to persuade him not to drink Coca-Cola. Again, feeling for his teeth. But we present in different ways, don't we? This boy had an outward appearance. Inwardly, he was very different. What we learn from this story is that actually he was someone who was quite bitter inside. Perhaps sour. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he was angry at the cards that life had dealt him in some way. Just look back at the beginning of Luke 15. We've got to remind ourselves why Jesus tells this story and why he tells this part of the story. It says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teach of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. And he tells them the story of uh, the lost sheep. And then he tells them the story of the silver coin. Then verse 11 it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. Here's the picture. Here's the picture. The teachers and religious leaders, they're there holding themselves above everybody else. In a sense, judging everybody. The one thing that Jesus tells us to do, he says, do not judge. Do not judge. It's such a terrible thing to do, isn't it? To judge someone. Don't judge. He says, here they are. They're judging people. And they're saying, why? They're saying, why are you welcoming in these terrible people? Why are you welcoming in these people who do wrong in their lives? And Jesus says, this is, he tells a story, this is what we've got to do. And he tells a story of the lost and the found, the sheep that's lost. And, um, you know, the, the shepherd leaving the 99 and going to find the one, the one that the Spirit is at work with, the one that needs to be redeemed, the one that wants to be saved. And he tells the same of the, the coin that's lost. And then he tells the same of the first son, this, this young son, he's, he's just made some wrong decisions in life. And he's made some wrong turns and and someone needs to go and get him. And Jesus illustrates this. And, and I suspect he hasn't quite connected yet with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're still thinking, yes, but they're terrible people. And then he tells the story of the one who is outwardly perfect, but inwardly in a mess. And I think he tells it because he looks at the Pharisees and the teachers of the British law at that moment and he says to them in a sense you know you're very religious and very dutiful just like this older son was seemingly doing everything right but perhaps you too have something in your hearts that need dealing with I had a, a fascinating conversation with a lady just the other week who'd been here to St. Paul's and um, she um, she said this of our church, it was lovely, we had this lovely conversation and she said, um, she said, I do envy your church with uh, the fact that you have people that come. I thought, oh, that's very interesting. I said, tell me, tell me what, where that comment comes from. She said, well, she said, but I don't envy you your building. I looked around and I thought, I quite, I quite like the building actually, I don't know, there's nothing wrong with it. I said, tell me, tell me why you make that comment. She said, well, she said I go to an 11th century church and it's beautiful. I said, that's great. She said, the trouble is no one comes. I said, I would never swap. I, I, you know, it's all about people. The church is the people, not the building. This, it's not about being outwardly beautiful. See, no church family is inwardly beautiful, are we? We're all in a mess. 
That was true, isn't it? There's not a single perfect person here, is there? I'm certainly not perfect. We've all got brokenness inside us. We all do wrong all the time. But I'd rather live in that glorious mess of a people journeying some way in Jesus Christ, journeying in some way of what it means to be a Christian, of trying to do good, of, 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 in, of, of the intentions of our hearts are that we want to live lives that make a difference um, in this world. And, and actually, you see, the, the thing that Jesus pulls out here, he says, this is not just about religion. I think that's what he's saying. It's about relationship. It's not just about seemingly doing the right thing. It's about being in that mess of relationship with the Father. It's about being in that place where that interaction uh, is going on. The older boy was being religiously obedient, but I think he'd lost relationship with his father. It was a shock to the Pharisees and the teacher of the religious law. It was a shock to them that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and, and prostitutes and welcoming them in. But it was a shock also, and I, I suspect they were fuming inside when he talked about this way about the uh, uh, older son, that actually they too may have realized that their um, uh, hearts needed looking at. Maybe they needed to just stop and pause and reflect on themselves of where they are. I think one of the greatest things, actually one of the things we talk about, isn't we, each day if possible, just to stop and be with the Lord, just to stop and give some time to him. I think often stopping, causing us to stop for, you can do it five minutes actually, just to stop, just to stop and think. We start seeing ourselves again. We start reminding ourselves of what we're like. And when we do that, we start putting our own lives right, rather than looking at somebody else's life and thinking their lives are not right. We start getting our own place, our own house uh, in order. So this older son comes back. It says this in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. Your father's killed a fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The party was going on, and he didn't know anything about it. He actually had to resort to asking one of the servants, why is there a party going on in my house? Why is it that I wasn't invited? What's happening around here? And I think that what that suggests is that there was already a distance between the father and the older son. The older son perhaps treated the house a bit like a hotel. I'll let you know when I'm coming back, if I do come back, you know, that sort of thing. You know, I might turn up, I might not. And so the father just gets on with life. There's already a brokenness in that uh, relationship. And so he was perhaps physically sometimes present, but emotionally, spiritually, in other way, he was distant. And this younger son who'd come back, he'd come back broken, deserving nothing. He didn't deserve the restoration he got. He probably deserved probation rather than anything else. He certainly didn't merit a party, but that's what grace is. That's what the church is like. That's why we're doing something like the noise. It's all about the grace of God. It's all about grace. The grace of God reaching out. Not, not that anyone deserves help necessarily in that way, but we'll come, we'll do it. Not that this young son deserved what he got, but, but the father extended grace to him. 
We were reminding ourselves last week that this first son, this younger son, ended up in the pig side because he was selfish, because he wasted his resources, because he separated himself from every relationship that was important, because he made a long list of bad decisions. And we were reflecting on the fact, if you remember, that once you make one bad decision, it's easy to make another bad decision. And after 15 bad decisions, actually pride kicks in and it's quite difficult to come back to the beginning again and say, I got that wrong. I wished I hadn't made that decision, I need to return. But it says he came to his senses. He realized he'd made a lot of bad decisions and he came back again. And I think this older son maybe didn't physically end up in a pigsty, but he certainly ended up in a mess. Maybe his heart attitude took him to a place where he also was in that mess such, such as the younger son was. What, what was it that led him there? I think the first thing that probably led him there was this. His feeling of, it's not fair. Have you ever felt that in life? It's not fair. I think we've all felt that sometimes. It's not fair. They got the break, I didn't. They got that, I didn't. That, that, it, it's not fair. It's not fair. That's, I think, the first thing. Maybe we feel we've been overlooked or ignored or forgotten or disregarded at some point. This older son probably did. Listen to this. He says, all these years I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me. In all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast of my friends. But when this son of yours comes back from squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He's expressing the fact that it's not fair. It's not fair. He gets everything. He gets it all. He feels it's unfair. His pride has been crushed. He's going to pick up his football and leave the field. And no one else can play with it. That's his attitude. That's his approach. And it actually, it actually shows, doesn't it, a resentful, bitter heart that does no good to anybody. And it certainly shows a distance in relationship between he and his heavenly father. And the father, the father noticed this. When the younger son returned home, do you remember? The father ran to him and embraced him. The father ran out to him. This older son wouldn't come in. What did the father do? It says in the passage, the father went out and he begged him. He begged him. I think that's like our heavenly father all the time. I, th- I, I think that's the story of God in the Bible. Note, note, when, when the people of God in the Old Testament went wrong, rejected God, what did God do? He never abandoned them. This is what he did every time. He sent prophets to speak the word of God to them. And you know what the prophets said? Every time. They never change their story. They never, say it in a different way, but they say the same thing. This is what they say. Come back. Please come back. Come back to God. In fact, some of the prophets went out literally and begged the people to come back. Turn again. Turn again and find the grace of God. Turn again and you won't find judgment. You'll find embracing. You won't find condemnation. You'll find celebration. You'll find that God is there wanting you to come back. This father went out and begged the son. One of the most common songs played at a crematorium when taking funeral services is this. Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. Every time it's played, I think, why are you playing this song? That's not good. We're supposed to do it God's way. 
That's how we live our lives. We don't set ourselves up as God. We don't say, you know, this is the way. It's all about about doing things God's way. The second most common song is imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. I always think, wow, if we did it, I did it God's way, and I did it my way, and then imagine. I'm thinking, this is pretty hopeless, really. We want to do it God's way. And I want to say, there's a God with open arms who will embrace you, who will welcome you, who calls you home the whole time. Whether you be a son or a daughter who's gone terribly wrong, and you've abandoned everything that's right, and you've, you've messed everything up, he says, come back to me, I'll run out and meet you. Or whether you be somebody who thinks, I've lived a good life, but you've got a bit of a bitter, sour heart at times, and things aren't quite right in your life. Do you know, he'd come out to you, and he'd beg you, come to me, he'd say. Come to me, that's the grace of God. Not that we get what we deserve, but we get what we don't deserve. We get a loving father who extends his arms to you and me again and again, saying, come to me. The first thing that was wrong was this son thought, life's not fair. The second thing that was wrong in his heart was that he blamed other people. Of course, no one here has ever done that, have we? He blamed other people. Listen to his words in verse 30. He says this, he says this, Yet when this son of yours, he doesn't even refer to him as my brother. He doesn't even give him a name. When this son of yours who went off and squandered your money, he blames him. He said, you, 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 um, uh, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. When you're this son of yours, he expresses no love or happiness at his return. His views of his brother are somebody to be forgotten, son to be, to be, to be abandoned. There's no love or shown, uh, love or respect shown for the father. The son didn't deserve a father like this, a father who would come out and beg him, come in, son, come in, come back, come back to me, come back to what God has for you, come back to the fullness of life. The older son blames his father. You never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. It's funny, isn't it? You know, uh, healing is... Um, one of the things that most talked about in the Bible, but I think one of the, one of the other things that's most talked about in the Bible is, is parties and celebrations. That's what's most talked about, about people enjoying life. So it, it's such a shame when people have a view of Christians as people with faces as long as a milk round. You know, we're, we're to be people who celebrate God, who celebrate who God is all the time. He's good to us the whole time. He's a God who stretches out his hands to us. He's a God who opens wide his arms for us. How many times have we heard that though? Blaming someone else for our own actions or feelings. We see it so often in children. She made me do it. He made me do it. You see it right at the beginning of Genesis. What does it say? The man says, she made me do it. That's never stopped, has it? I know all of you women are thinking that right this very moment. She made me do it. She's the one that got it. Have you ever done that? And I, that you said, it's your fault. It's your... And we blame the other person, don't we? And actually, often it's us, isn't it? Often it's us. But this, this son, he was blaming the others for life. Life's not fair. I blame you, Dad. I blame my brother. 
I blame everybody else. But actually, it was his heart that was wrong. It was his heart that had become bitter. A self-righteous attitude is something that Jesus was very strong on and probably dealt with more severely than anything else. It's interesting, isn't it, that he could be tender and gracious and accepting to all who were involved in drunkenness or adultery or wrong living or whatever it might be. He went out to all of them and he says, come. But to the self-righteous, he was pretty harsh. You who think you're all right. You who think you've got it all sewn up. You who think you do nothing wrong. You who hold pride in your hearts. He comes out and begs. He says, come change your way. Come to me. Come to me and celebrate uh, with us. Why is it, why is it that um, uh, this son thinks that, uh, th- that this is such a deadly, dangerous place to be? Why is it that Jesus was so hard on this? I think it's this. I think it's because our attitudes can so easily be disgu- disguised as something justifiable in our lives. The older son, if you think about it, he had every right, didn't he? Well, hold on, you have never even given me a goat, Dad, but this boy, he's wasted everything, and you're celebrating him. That seems fair, doesn't it, really? But actually, underlying it was a lot more. Actually, what the son hadn't realized was, and the father says it, son, everything I've ever had is yours. You can party any time you like, you just never have. You've become this uptight person. <laughs> You've become this, this tense person all the time. But actually there's, a, there's life in all its fullness here. I think in this story Jim, Jesus demonstrates that there's a relationship with a father in both. The first son doesn't get what he deserved but he gets what he needs. The arms of the father thrown round him. Welcome home. The second son has the father pleading with him to come home. Remember the Pharisees and the teach the law at the beginning of the story. Jesus doesn't bring this story into conclusion. I think he doesn't bring it into conclusion. We don't know what happened to the older son because we don't know what happened to those teach the religious law. But we know that some of those came to Christ. We know that some of them chose to follow him. We know that from the stories of his death Uh, uh, and resurrection and ultimate burial we know that uh, some of them responded but Jesus leaves it hanging for that very reason I suspect friends that all of us can relate to the first son in some way we've wandered off and done wrong I think probably at times we can relate to the second son we think we're all right. Everything's tickety-boo in the house. But actually we know if we stopped, paused and thought that our hearts probably aren't as they ultimately should be. And maybe we need to check that ourselves. Because as we do, you know, we'll hear the voice of the Father pleading with us. Why don't you come celebrate with me? Why don't you come enjoy the party? Why don't you throw your ball in with the rest of us and enjoy the game? Let's stand together, shall we?